because they're on YouTube and they're off, you know, they're on Twitter, some of the shorter ones, Facebook, generally, you know, more available on social media and more accessible or used to seeing video on social media. They're in front of the paywall, so they're easily shared. So they absolutely have the capacity, at least, to reach a different audience. And I think they have surprised people that this comes from the FT. Um, indeed, there are comments underneath to that effect saying, oh, my God, is the FT doing Black Mirror now? And, you know, since when was the FT doing sci-fi? Yes, it's definitely part of its remit is to surprise people and to confront stereotypes and prejudices people might have about the FT. So, yeah, that is part of the goal. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. Today, we got here the head of new formats at the Financial Times, Juliet Riddle. How are you, Juliet? I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming. You are an expert when it comes to the innovation in the way we do content and we present to our subscribers or new potential subscribers, so new uh, users, our, our stories, our um, data, our, as well, journalism. And... Uh, I'll start with this, uh, Juliet. Uh, what does it mean to be a head of new formats for a newspaper in 2023? Uh, well, that's a good question. Um, the title perhaps is a little misleading in that I really only cover video. So it's not that I do amazing world of VR or indeed podcasts. So it is kind of restricted in that sense. Um, but it is new format in the sense that I've got an amazing freedom to work and collaborate with all sorts of different people to think about how we tell stories with video in different ways. Um, and as you say, it's kind of a surprisingly exciting how many new ways there are of communicating journalism. So since I've been at the FT, I have been able to do stories with the medium of dance and music videos and drama um, and interesting ways of doing data visualisation as well. So in that sense, they are new collaborations and formats. Yeah, we're going to go a bit deeper into some of your amazing projects. They won awards. They have been really, you know, uh, renowned and uh, known all over the world. And uh, really interesting because your perspective and the way you are presenting the stories is so different from what we are used to see from the FT. And I think this is, make it, is making it very attractive, I believe, for new audiences. Do you think that that's your role and uh, what your team is doing is also a strategy to acquire or try to get to new audiences? Did you see a new F-tier coming along the way uh, when you were presenting uh, um, some of the new formats, especially the, the video ones that won awards, etc., that were delivered? Definitely. I think because they're on YouTube and they're off you know, they're on Twitter, some of the shorter ones, Facebook, generally, you know, more available on social media and more accessible or used to seeing video on social media. They're in front of the paywall, so they're easily shared. So they absolutely have the capacity, at least, to reach a different audience. And I think they have surprised people that this comes from the FT. 
Um, indeed, there are comments underneath to that effect saying, oh, my God, is the FT doing Black Mirror now? And, you know, since when was the FT doing sci-fi? Yes, it's definitely part of its remit is to surprise people and to confront stereotypes and prejudices people might have about the FT. So, yeah, that is part of the goal. But when you are thinking about the target audience for these new products, who do you have in mind? That does depend a bit on the subject and the film. Um, I definitely don't want to in any way alienate our core audience or our subscribers. So they are very much at the forefront of my mind, even with the more creative projects, that this has to feel like an FT film and it should not feel... Uh, in any way, like it's not the sort of content an FT subscriber would would enjoy. However, yeah, some of them are aimed at younger people. The ones that have actors or presenters with younger faces, the idea is that it does feel a bit more sort of peer-led. So I do I do think of the broadest possible audience, but I suppose the core values the FT have of making content that's informative, that you can rely on is, is sort of born from trusted rigorous journalism has to be at the very heart of these films as well. So it's not that I'm just trying to create content that doesn't feel FT-like. So I suppose it's not very accurate, not particularly succinct answer to your question. So I would say, yeah, an FT audience plus. And um, of course, you touched on so many different topics depending on the, on the project and the product that you delivered. Uh, for example, you have been... Um, the director of the documentary Cape Town Life Without Water, that was the winner of Best Documentary 2018 at the Association of International Broadcast Awards. And I think there was um, a lot besides the award um, in that experience in uh, being a director and at the same time uh, delivering something so important for our journalism as well, that is the topic of sustainability. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, the behind the scenes of that project? That was a really interesting project because um, Robert Shrimsley, who you know from the FT, who's senior here, um, said, I really think that this is a story that we should cover as video. It's such an important turning point, a kind of canary in the coal mine moment where a city like Cape Town is running out of water. I really think you should go and make a film and you should do it soon. It's news. And actually, most of my career has been in documentaries where you have a long time to sort of develop the idea and develop the story. So that shift to being in a newspaper was quite difficult for me because I was resistant to going because I didn't know what the story was and the, it, it worked against what I'd sort of been trained in in terms of making longer-form documentaries. So it was quite nerve-wracking going out there. But I worked with an incredible team who are from Cape Town who live there, work there, have the community and the story ended up having more narrative than I feared it might have which was that one of their neighbours was digging a borehole in their garden and because she already had a relationship with the neighbours we were able to get incredible access and able to do a story that had narrative and so I was able to sort of blend some of my more documentary sensibilities of having a narrative and following something over a long period of time with the immediacy of telling a news story. So a lot of luck came into that project to make that video successful. Um, and, it, you know, it was absolutely crucial that I had to work with a local team because I was doing it last minute and I had to rely on that knowledge and experience that was already there in Cape Town. How do you see yourself in uh, that kind of growth mindset framework 
um, like learning new things as you are at FT? What has been uh, like the most challenging and as well learnings out of this experience of adapting your role into this new, new, new format as well of doing your job? Well, I think one of the most difficult challenges I have is exactly touches on that, which is now I'm doing longer projects, which take quite a lot of time to produce. So if I'm doing a drama, it, it, there is quite a lot of pre-production and you have to have a script and you have to cast. So that takes a long time. But you also want to make it feel that it's current and it's news. And when it comes out, it feels like something that is very much of today. So, for example, the online harm film that I just did, um, you know, some of that is... <laughs> thinking ahead and doing a lot of work to think about, well, it's, there is the online harm bill that I knew was going to be in Parliament. And so that's a news hook that I could try and meet. But the issue of online safety has a longer evergreen sort of subject area. So it's always, always having in the back of my head, what's the sort of issue that is going to still be there in a year's time or six months time? But what's the other extra special thing that will make it feel, but it has to come out today because this is a newspaper and, you know, tomorrow it's yesterday's chip paper. So that's probably my biggest challenge is kind of having both those contexts in mind. How did you end up at the Financial Times? And uh, would you like um, to maybe explain a bit about your career journey and what has been taking you here? Yeah, so I did a history degree. Um, well, actually, I was going to be a dancer, I thought, possibly. I was quite serious about dance and I went to New York to dance. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I didn't know whether I was going to be a dancer. I had a place at university to do history and I was swimming and ahhing between the two. And I went out to New York with a friend that then stayed behind and became a dancer, even though she had a place to do medicine. So anyway, that's relevant because that kind of art sensibility and being a dancer and also I did a lot of acting and I was quite serious about acting and did some professional acting as well. Um, sort of come back into it later. So I did a history degree because I care about, you know, I'm interested in the world and, and it's a great degree for journalism, kind of finding a huge mammoth topic and distilling it and critical thinking. Um, and then when I left university, I still had that kind of drama, dance, creative side, but I still really liked the factual side. So I decided that documentaries would be the place and factual television would be a place I wanted to work. So I was really lucky. And I got some work experience at ITV and I was at ITV for eight years. And I worked my way up from sort of work experience right up to being a producer director. Um, and I worked on everything from Come Dine With Me as my first, one of my first directing jobs to Trini and Susanna to I'm a to Get Me Out of Here. And then really serious subjects about, um, I spent three and a half months at Great Ormond Street in a, a long series about children with rare conditions. But it was an incredible experience because it was really broad. It was everything from getting celebrities to do Bollywood dancing to filming a surgery. Um, and I really loved it. And I, I then had a baby and didn't know what to do and actually left ITV and got a job working on the Grace and Perry series, which was about taste for Channel 4. And that did super well. And I made another series. And then I carried on working more in the art space of, of documentaries so not such straight documentaries but more sort of arts programs and they were quite successful and while I was at that company I actually got headhunted to um well someone approached me to work at the Guardian and it had never occurred to me to work at a newspaper because I was quite happy but because my CV was actually quite broad and I was doing quite innovative things with formats someone thought that this could actually be an interesting fit at a newspaper so I went to the Guardian for 18 months where I 
got to do all sorts of different things, which I loved. But while I was there, I was still relatively young and I really missed the team work of making television programmes and I really missed having people that were senior to me to learn from because in a newspaper, it is a kind of flatter structure and everybody's their own boss. So actually, I didn't quite feel ready just to make short form as well. So I went back into television and did development. But, but, but I realised that what I missed from the newspaper suddenly was that you could be your own boss and you could create content quickly and that also you were really relevant to what was happening in society whereas documentaries and television because they do take so long sometimes it feels like you're not really part of a conversation that's vital so I saw a position going for the FT and thought you know what I'm going to go back into newspapers and applied for a job um, and they basically, they basically said well actually we don't have particular your 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 skill set is quite unusual maybe we should create a job for you that actually suits your skill set better so they actually created this role for me here i'd like to better understand how are you set up or how do you set up yourself for success in creating these uh, uh, new products that are so successful but they need so much investment before actually seeing them how do you how do you do it I do have to feel quite passionate about the subject um and so I do I do spend quite a lot of time thinking about what the issues that feel really urgent are and I look at the newspaper and I think what are the areas that are core to the FT but are going to resonate strongly with an audience and hopefully I find a way to get really obsessed with it and passionate about it. I'm doing a series at the moment which is about democracy and at one point I got really excited about it because it felt so urgent that the democracy was under threat and what could we do about it and then I went for a wave of being like oh god it's just too big an area and it's just too much of a big subject and I don't know if I care really. Well not care but I just don't know if I can find my way into it. So then I kind of say so that you, it, it, it's not necessarily easy but I think yeah the short answer is I just have to get really excited about it. I'm very interested in your process of pitching. How do you convince the newsroom and your boss to invest in uh, in in a particular project? How do you present this to them? Um, I've often found some a strong lead for funding. So when I'm coming to them with the idea, it's sometimes the idea accompanied by quite a lot of financial support. So for the FT newsroom, it's quite attractive because it means that we're able to create editorial content to a really high production value, which is exciting. You know, is a great benefit for everybody that in that situation. So as an entrepreneur, you're basically ha- getting the creative idea sorted out, but at the same time, you're looking for funding at the beginning, at the seed of exactly. your idea. Exactly. So often I've a, sort of got that fair amount underway by the time I'm sort of bringing in kind of support around the newsroom. I think this is very interesting because it's really being an entrepreneur within a company. So it's like that intrapreneurial spirit. Someone said that to me once that the FT is a kind of, the FT is a company where you have to be your own entrepreneur. You have to be an entrepreneur. And they said that to me afterwards. And I I agree, it it really resonates because I have had to see it a bit like that. Um, And, you know, it does make a big difference if I can make a film with a £25,000 budget as opposed to a £2,000 budget and I can attract big actors and great writers, 
And that, I mean, that's the other thing is that often I am choosing subjects that I'm passionate about for a good reason. And so it's not that hard to get very good quality writers to be passionate about them as well. Mm-mm-mm. How is your team structured, Juliet? So you got the idea, I think you're from like a bit of a director view, right? It's like a director role. Um, do you have um, contractors that work with you or like it's uh, a stable team here at FT? You're always changing depending on the topic. Can you explain a little bit how does it work to be a director at FT? So I don't have a team. I am effectively just my own person. And then on projects to project, I will work with the relevant sort of collaborators and experts. And sometimes those have been in-house. I've worked a lot with Tom Hannon, who's an exec producer here in the video team. Um, And we complement each other's skills. Um, and so we'll often work together on projects, but on the more like on the dramas, it probably, it, it, you know, and, the, and I'd have other people of the team sort of feeding in and giving their ideas, but I'd be working with freelance directors of photography, freelance creative writers, um, freelance composers. So like, you know, bringing in a lot of, a lot of freelancers for those sorts of projects. Juliet, it's very interesting uh, to see the, the the spectrum of things that you have covered in the past few years. What has been the most exciting project that you worked on that you would like our audience to know more about, especially the behind the scenes? Uh, the latest drama called Capture. I mean, that's a sort of perfect, for me, <laughs> if I could, example of those things. I'm very passionate about the subject. I have children who are 13 and 11 and it has been a complete shock to me how much their lives there are online and how little regulation there is and we are sort of on the back foot where these tech companies have such control over the experiences of childhood and the physical time of children and from what I have experienced a lot of it is negative and there is little to support families, children, schools in how to sort of deal with this very huge shift in society that we're not really prepared for. So that's the comp- that's the passion bit. It's a huge news story. Tech companies are some of you know the most important companies in our society at the moment, um, and that the regulation of them is a, is a core FT story. But we were able to make it current because there are things like the online harm bill and there are new reports about the impact on children. And so there's that lovely combination of it being both a broad subject and a kind of now subject. Um, And to do it in a drama felt like the perfect way of addressing something that um, to read about can feel quite boring. Uh, Or not boring, but just sort of hard to sort of access the emotion And so for me, that kind of using the tools of drama, which mean they can be emotive and imaginative, uh, was was great at highlighting those issues. Let's say you pitch a project and you work only on one um, video production at a time or you have even parallel ones or like shorter one that you need to deliver for the newsroom with our timelines. Yes, often I will have another project. So during the process of making the online harm film, um, and around that, I also was, made a film about Bitcoin mining and cryptocurrency. Um, I was also involved with a project about India, a straight documentary and the heat wave in India. And actually worked with a director in India. And so it was more di- directing and producing remotely. So, yes, I was working on more than one project over those 18 months for sure. 
And I'm also developing new ideas and some of them won't go anywhere. And, you know, I might be talking to writers or um, sort of thinking about scripts or maybe even spending, you know, a tiny amount of money on sort of developing a script that might not go somewhere. So, yeah, you need you need a slate of ideas that sort of are bubbling along. And who is your main interlocutor here at the Financial Times to understand this? Because I guess it's a very different mindset from uh, the normal newsroom requests, right? Who Who is the person you talk to about this, like your projects, your new ideas and, and so on? Well, that's one of the amazing things that I love about the FT, which is what I missed from going, when I went to The Guardian and then I went back into TV. I really missed being in a newsroom for lots of reasons. But one of them was just having these incredible brains around you and being able to walk around the room and be like, I can access this incredible person's head for the moment. So the answer to that, in a way, is brilliant, which is so many different people. I mean, Christina Criddle has done some brilliant work on uh, Instagram and actually came from the BBC where she'd made a documentary. So to talk to her about the online harm film was amazing. And Madhu, who's now head of AI, she was, you know, has did a TED talk about finding out, getting access to all her the data and privacy online. And so it's just sort of brilliant experts in the building. Um, but then there's also other people like Janine Gibson, who was at The Guardian and BuzzFeed and had been involved in, you know, projects where she'd seen them become plays. She was in Snowden and WikiLeaks. And so, you know, there's all sorts of different people that I access. So basically you go around and uh, how does your day looks like? I think n n no one is similar to the, to the other, but maybe one typical day of Juliet uh, coming to FT. How is it? Sometimes it's looking backwards in a nice way. So the online harm film um, has been screened in loads of schools. So sometimes, like today, I was um, asked to do a short online interview about capture for a festival's website um, because they want to put the film on this website and they wanted and I so I just filled in a kind of interview about the process of making the film. Um, I am speaking this week to potential new collaborators on the democracy series so a lot of that is also just setting up the mundane of like setting up meetings and setting up potential artists to speak to and contacting agents and you know contracts and all those sorts of things that have to happen um what else am I doing research you know I'm sort of with the democracy series I need to kind of understand what's happening in each country so some of it is just sort of straightforward trying to keep up with the news One last question from me. Um, what is your best piece of advice for someone that would like to follow your career path? I suppose what's worked for me and what I would sort of reassure my previous self, my past self or future, you know, other people is to own what you like and care about and not to be afraid that those things are interesting and to drill down. Why is it interesting to you that you like, you know, if you're... A you know, you see, you want to make serious documentaries, but you find that 50% of your time is watching cats falling off fridges or cats being cute. Listen to that. Why is it that you find the cats really cute, but you want to make documentaries? What about the cats is bringing you comfort or pleasure or joy? And maybe kind of explore that. Don't, don't, don't dismiss that passion as something that's very distinct from your career path. Sort of listen, listen to your instincts for what content you enjoy. And, and I think that will lead you to actually making more individually exciting and possibly original content. But also that 
it makes it it makes it you and actually might make it more universal because you're not the only one to like cat content. So I would say my advice is sort of be your whole self and 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 listen to all your different feelings and interests. Follow your gut. Thank you so much, Juliet. If there is one thing that we do in this podcast is welcoming uh, some people from outside our world and uh, have a foot in the door at the Financial Times and ask you directly some questions. And today in our studio, we got Amia and Oiko. And Oiko, uh, where are you coming from? Tell us a bit about you, your journey here, and then ask your question to Juliet. Um, thanks for having me. I'm Oiku and I recently completed my master's in media and communications at London School of Economics. Uh, I mainly focused on digital regulations and media policies. And in the past, I worked as an arts and culture reporter. So for the future, I want to continue to be part of the creative industries and the recent debates around the world. What's your question for Juliet? Yeah. So uh, when I watched the Financial Times film Capture, it was really interesting for me to see that the dynamic intersection of journalism, media and creative storytelling. Um, could you please elaborate more on the reasons and goals behind this creative expansion by Financial Times as a business newspaper? Yeah, thank you for watching it. Did you like it? Yeah, of course. It's It's very interesting. Yeah. Well, I think in a way why you liked it is probably the reason why I did it, in a sense. It's a good conversation to have. Um, I think I was determined that this very important subject reached people and that we could bring together quite a complicated issue like regulation with a very domestic issue of parents struggling to kind of retain the childhood of their ch children and how to kind of protect them online. So um, drama felt like a really good way of sort of bringing those two together. I guess the danger with a film like that is how to keep it journalistic. And to some extent, it it's hard because it feels like it's, I didn't want it to be a campaign. It, but at the same time, it did seem quite clear to me that there did need to be more regulation. So there's a kind of interesting journalistic tension in a film like that and sometimes in drama because drama is such a powerful tool that's sort of leading emotions so how do you leave enough space for the viewer to sort of interpret the subject on their own terms with the sort of a balanced view without sort of manipulating them because journalism isn't about manipulation and the FT in particular is so valued because it allows people to sort of make informed decisions or have informed opinions so uh, it wasn't without its challenges but I suppose its goal was to actually give a deeper understanding by using drama and I think it did because I've had a, so much feedback from parents in particular who've said this film has articulated something I've been trying to say so that's the best compliment I can have for the film. Okay, thank you so much. So we will see more movies like this in the future from Financial Times. I hope so. Amia, over to you. Hi, my name is Amia Roy and uh, I'm currently a master's student at the London School of Economics from the Department of Media and Communications. And uh, in the past, I've served at editorial positions, managing student magazines, and I hope to sort of bring together this field of media research and writing in future. 
So my question to you is, you mentioned about working in documentaries and making them, and then now you're working in more fictional spaces, creating dramas, and those are two very different forms of you know, storytelling. So when we talk about fiction and drama, and now that FT Films are creating it, there is like an issue of media representation of different identities, of different people that are involved in it. So how do you navigate that? Because in documentaries, you don't really have that in that sense because it's more direct you are presenting reality as a real form but in fiction you have to sort of create these identities so how do you tackle that well that's a good question and you've reminded me of something that I do feel really passionate about which is that that is not very true (laughs) (laughs) I think that documentaries are often incredibly manipulated by the producer and the director. And I've made documentaries 20 years, and it doesn't mean that people are doing it in a kind of cynical, maverick, I'm going to twist the minds of the viewer. But actually, all forms of documentary making is absolutely about the eye of, of, the, of the person, people making it. And that we can, you know, I could film, you know, one 20-minute interview and use 30 seconds of that interview very carefully and completely tell a different story from what the other. So actually documentary making is not like documentary making is fact and fiction is is sort of false in any way. So actually I think the two worlds are way more blurred than we ever give them credit for, firstly. And that's kind of an interesting issue. And I also think, you know, opinion journalism is, is also obviously like that, that we are also valuing that layer of interpretation and you know that line between what's subjective and objective is is very is blurred isn't it so firstly there's that which they're not that different in some ways Uh, and secondly I think what I'm trying to do with the films is to give deeper understanding and sometimes using imagination as a tool to get to a truth so I suppose they're both similar in the sense that I want to effectively communicate something true um so there isn't a kind of there isn't a right or wrong answer to why or why this isn't journalism but for me it is journalism in the sense that I have the same goal of communicating a reflection of society in some ways accurately <laughs> or at least right. in, with depth right that makes sense so um yeah, I I mean, I had that in the back of my head that both documentaries and fictional films have that kind of blurred lines. But I just wanted to know from you that what your opinions are. And um, maybe if I can ask like a follow up question. So when you are making both documentaries and fictional films at the same time, how do you choose that which issue of your concern or which topic is going to be a documentary and which is going to be a fiction, for example, um, the capture movie was a fiction because of the reasons you just explained before. But like, why is that? How do you reach that conclusion? Um, I suppose it's often where there's sort of gaps that you can't define. So an easier example of that, I suppose, is the data and privacy film that I made, which was an interrogation scene of somebody that had broken lockdown rules. And the issue when we were all signing those apps during COVID, giving permission to be tracked and give away our health data, was quite hard to sort of articulate why we had anxiety about it. 
So I find subjects where there's sort of holes in our understanding. And often it's not because we haven't read enough or it's not because we don't understand the subject enough. It's just because there's something emotional about it that you can't quite put your finger on. So for those ones, I think drama works really well. So that data privacy one was a good example of that because it sounds like, you know, why why did we get anxious? Like some, I was really res- reluctant to get the NHS app on my phone and be tracked and traced. But, you know, it was quite hard to articulate exactly why. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much for your answer. Thank you for uh, your questions, ladies. Thanks for joining us here at the Financial Times. And thank you, Juliet, for answering uh, uh, all our questions today. And thank you, listeners. Thank you so much. And see you and uh, listen to you at the next episode. This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.